You're listening to the Manufacturing Ignition podcast. Keep updated with the latest news, recruitment advice, and hot topics within the UK manufacturing industry. Sponsored by Bonfire Recruitment, helping manufacturing leaders across the UK to attract the best talent for their manufacturing company. Ignite your business or career today by visiting www.bonfirerecruitment.com. Here's your hosts, Terry Mallin and Scott Buchanan. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Manufacturing Ignition Podcast, hosted by myself, Terry Mallon, and my co-host, Scott Buchanan. Afternoon, Terry. How you doing? I'm doing well, Scott. Do you know this is our sixth episode? You are having a laugh. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. How, how time flies when you're having fun, eh? Well, exactly. And I'll tell you what, do you want to know what, kind of, you know, on a different subject as well, how many emails did you get over the weekend from Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Do you know what? I thought it was being very popular, um, but it turns <laughs> out, yeah, it was um, it was it was consistent. And what surprised me was that it was it's consistent it was, garbage. Though it's the same stuff, you know. It's like promoted as Black Friday, while you can get a deal, and it's the exact same deals on the Monday. I just one of the ideas, and I'm hoping that my folks aren't listening to this, but one of the ideas I've got is to get one of those um, one of the the pictures blown up um, on you know on for the wall. And um, if I'd actually bought the deal on the Friday, I'd have been kicking myself because the deal on the Monday for one of the sites was actually miles better than what it was on the Friday. I just thought it was a lot of junk, to be honest with you. Didn't really see anything at all. Aye, but are you getting your are you getting yourself sorted for the, the Christmas party season, Terry? Are you? Yep, yep. I bought my spa day away, and I bought a wee, uh, wee bow tie. <laughs> 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 and uh, is, is, is that that is your typical attire at a, a Christmas event, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, well, well, our Christmas events different this year, Scott. You just have to wait and see, and see how that pans out. Anyway, we better crack on. So, for those tuning in for the first time, both my, Scott and myself have been working within the manufacturing recruitment sector for over fifteen years combined, and that's been all typically within management and technical recruitment. And over the past few years, we've been growing our business, Bonfire Recruitment, to be the leader in recruiting within manufacturing across the UK. We started this podcast initially to give a, an impartial view on the latest manufacturing news, discuss hot topics and give a real insight into recruitment and people retainment. So getting started this week, this week we're going to cover latest news, a hot topic on women in manufacturing and our recruitment minutes will be Following on from last week, which will be once we've mapped out the market, how do we identify the top 15% in the market to make sure you get the best people for your business? So, Scott, over to you. What's the latest news this week? Thanks, Terry. Well, um, yes, some interesting topics ahead and um, clearly quite a, a, a hot topic. It's going to be interesting because there's a lot lot of depth in that. Um, but the, the news that w- 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 that's been coming in, a topic close to your heart, Terry, um, Scotch whiskey. Have you? I noticed your, your, one of your pictures has got your, your some bottles behind you. China has has actually cut the import tax that that um, that was introduced recently for well for the, the whiskey product. And um, the country's buying- so so whiskey's whiskey's whiskey getting sold into China to be sold in China. They're cutting the import tax on that, so it's a benefit to yeah. It's a, it's a benefit. Well, it's easier to, it, that more will be sold. I know that certainly the, the serious bottles and the expensive bottles that were always used as um, gifts, I guess, within within business. And there's been a bit of a, a hit in that recently because of this, well, a different kind of tax, but it's the same tax. So it's been relaxed. In the first six months of 2017, demand for yeah. Scotch in China jumped as the economy grew. 
with direct exports alone up to 45% and um, to £27 million worth. All right. right, okay, so £27 million of exports to China. Yeah, just purely in, to China. in this year. Yeah. Okay, because I know, I know, because I did a bit of work for a whiskey company back a couple of months ago, and I was checking out exports and all that good stuff. Yeah, they're all kind of involved that. And I know global exports last year within whiskey. So global exports for whiskey was four billion pounds globally. So that kind of gives you an idea as well of the bigger market as well as China actually the the boost outside that. So with China, I'm guessing putting two and two together when they're cutting that tax then that's going to you know be a big door opener as well for future growth yeah well without question and i mean it's such a sizable market isn't it and it's such a you know it's it's a, it's a scotch whiskey product i guess so it's important to our economy and i know that our figures i mean we we smashed our targets i think the 2017 figure of growth um, was logarithmically smashed i think and i'm going to say 2013 or 14 it was it was a long time ago so so all good good and i did notice it's not just a uh, just so I'm having a look online, Scott, as you were talking there, and it's not just Scotch, but also cashmere clothing as well is going to benefit from that slashing tariffs, mm. which will obviously benefit companies like Johnson's Elgin and whoever else. Well, in, um, indeed, and I think there's there's certainly plans over the course of this year. I don't think now, but certainly over the next six months or so, that pharmaceuticals, um, food and health, was slashed as well. I think it's going from around 17% down to um, 7.7% of attacks. So um, that's quite a massive hit. So that, that should be yeah. good for, for, for all involved. And I guess it gives an indication of, of where China um, recognise their uh, manufacturing, um, or rather their exactly. the importation, I guess, is, is in that case. And here's another fun fact, actually, just as that? I'm reading here. Diageo are hosting their second ever whiskey summit. And apologies for my Chinese pronunciation. Gangzhou and Gangzhou. So they're hosting a second uh, whiskey summit in China. So there you go. Uh, so obviously, there's obviously a growing importance in the Chinese market for for Diageo as well. Very much. So as it would be staying on the chain, the chain, uh, the news about China, Scott. Just whilst I'm looking online here, so it looks as if China has re- released a three-year action plan to upgrade their manufacturing sectors within specifically new materials, shipbuilding, and railway vehicles. You know, the reason behind it is to catch up with other established rivals in the world. Um, so they're putting in a bit of investment there. It's a three-year plan between 2018 and the end of 2020. Okay. So that consists of like high-speed trains, high-end vessels, offshore engineering, ro- industrial robotics, which is quite interesting. <laughs> um, Topical. And I'm just, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just reading here medical devices. Okay. One of the trains are developing called the Maglev trains. They, they can that's the potentially fast reach. one. Yeah, that's the fast one. I'm pretty sure that's the. Is that it not is. the? It doesn't. Even, I'm going to say it's, it's all magnets or similar. Where is that not like almost pushing the, the speed of sound? That thing, if I remember right, six six hundred kilometers per hour. Aye, there you go. Yeah, that's crazy. That is crazy. That's like you're driving. Literally, <laughs> literally six hundred kilometers. What's that? Probably Glasgow to London, maybe four hundred miles. Say five hundred miles. Then literally, you could do that in an hour. I think that gives an insight in that. I mean, there's. 
you know that that's incredible. And I know that's if you think of you know what you hear about China, and there's there's good points and bad points, I guess. But they always try and be competitive, don't they? They always are are, are thinking ahead to the future and and recognizing where, where they should be going. And I, I don't know how the UK and you know are performing. And if you compare that to the likes of the US, I guess, which is where China's probably benchmarking themselves against. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's probably yeah, maybe a bit of crossover there as well to what what. Um, well, Trump's trying to do at the moment, so yeah, yeah, and and just touching on because obviously in previous podcasts, Scott, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we've we'll been talking about Industry Four Point Zero and automation and all that good stuff, and I know China are looking, you know, the, so the the notes here say the country will, so China as a country will be able to develop robots with autonomous programming, human machine collaboration, and dual arm collaborative robots by twenty twenty. So the so the putting that into summary, these robots will be able to they'll be able to carry, they'll be able to weld, they can spray paint, they can clean. Wow. A wide okay. range of stuff within automotive, metal processing, yeah. pharmaceuticals, any sort of ha- hazardous chemicals as well, because actually the robot can handle those chemicals. Uh-huh. So that's looking to get all done by twenty twenty, which is another market that's there's a big opportunity. I'm guessing China's gonna be investing in that to with the, with the global, and especially in the UK, Industry 4.0, where people are going to be potentially looking at more robotics, China are looking to get ahead in that. If you think of, there's a sensible idea of where to put a robot. You know, when there's chemical fumes kicking about, then, you know, there, there's, there's and, and I guess that's, I don't know if you like painting, but I'm certainly not the, um, I, it's, I can do plenty of things, but painting is... Mind-numbing. Yes. Yeah, so Mind-numbing. Not a, not a bad place to get a robot. I might might actually, assuming they're cost affordable, I might get one, um, get this house. Do you, want, do you want to know what? Probably the second, the, the first worst thing to paint, wallpapering, because I had to do that last week. <laughs> Uh, and that was horrendous. Yeah, I, uh, I I wouldn't even know where to start with wallpaper. I honestly wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember t- trying to take off wallpaper in an old flat, and when I took off one sheet, all of a sudden the wall kind of fell in. So uh, um, I decided mm-hmm. that wasn't a good idea to do. So I hope, I hope you're not covering anything up behind that wallpaper, Terry. No, not at all. Not at all. So, so side side sidetracking slightly. Moving on. So so that's China. Uh, so what's the UK's strategy? And yesterday there was a there was a, a news article came out about the UK government launching its industrial strategy, which is basically a long term plan to boost productivity. You know, within UK manufacturing. I saw that. Did have you read it yet? Have you? What was your thought? Uh, I've not. No. I've just I, I literally skimmed it, Scott. But the just of what I can make out of it, what the government's looking to do is help businesses create better, higher paying jobs. Um, they're investing in more training, support, development of people. See, my take on it, I mean, we just talked about China there, right, where you were, we were highlighting, I guess, that, that they know what their, their strategy is, right? So they're going in, that we're going to invest in X, you know, and I think what we are talking about their heavy industry. Um, the, the Robotics, you know, cutting taxes to encourage business into the country, that's, which will eventually make them far, far more money rather than keeping the taxes high. Yeah, and the report, I mean, I, I, again, I've, I've read the, the kind of cover sheet on it rather than going into the, the nitty-gritty detail, but trying to actually find the nitty-gritty detail on it was actually challenging because, the, you know, it's all about, it's actually softer stuff. It's talking about, I, you know, actual facts, actual let's get this done. 
You've actually hit the nail on the head because you want to know why I didn't read it because I was bored after I read the first couple of lines. <laughs> Honestly, and, and and do you want to know what I want to be excited about it? But do you know, I, I I probably got a wee bit of bee in my bonnet about how because because what it's saying here is about helping small businesses. You know, I just don't think the government does any help at all for small businesses. Businesses that are trying to do well and be profitable and successful and and really busting a gut to 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 be different to everyone else and, and establish themselves. They don't help themselves by they don't help small businesses whatsoever. They might say they do, but that's uh, probably where I get kind of turned off it. No, I agreed and I mean the title of the of the report or the the the, the, the document is um, from the HM government. It's an industrial strategy. You can get this online an industrial strategy building a Britain fit for the future, November 2017. And actually you know, and it's a beautiful picture of our, our government there and a, an MP and so on. And, uh, you know, it's all, I guess, thought through from a, a an, an, it, yeah, from an essence point of view. But actually, when you, you, you drive down so that they're looking, there's nothing specific in there other than, you know, that, I mean, here's drive over £20 billion pounds worth of investment in an innovative and high potential businesses, including through establishing a new £2.5 billion investment fund incubated in the biz, British Business Bank. What does that actually mean? Actually, what does that mean? It's saying we're going to throw money again at stuff that doesn't actually, you know, that 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 that, that, that there's other businesses that could probably do, you know, the, the investment in their R and D project or evolve an established business and all this good stuff. So um, I don't know. I, you know what I'm like. I, I just feel um, that the detail is not there, um, and it reminds me of things that we've heard before. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you're putting to, I think the main thing for this sort of discussion actually, which is kind of highlighted to me is when you put two and two together with China against what they're doing against what Britain and this is a small scale right this is just a pinch of salt on the tip of the iceberg but literally you know you're getting excited about what China are doing whilst in the UK you know that, that don't get me wrong that's just one bit of news you know I but I, I just get the feeling. I agree, and I just don't think they've they've got it to the the detail. I don't think they necessarily get what it's like on the ground. I don't think they necessarily understand what it's like to be a UK manufacturer that's not necessarily one of the big automotive companies or a you know a, a well established player in the given market. Even though I mean these companies have got their own struggles as well, but actually for you know the up and coming businesses you touched on there from a an SME perspective, do you know that way? Where is actually the specific support and understanding to actually create the support um i just yeah. don't see it um so so moving on to the next piece obviously we've been talking about 3d printing scott the last couple of weeks on the <laughs> podcast and and we actually gave away so we were literally the 3d printers we bought two and um, we've given them away to two individuals who who work closely with us through our competition we were running about updating profiles when we launched our new website a few weeks back That's right. um so so those two individuals will be getting a 3D printer each in the post next week. So I, I'm actually quite jealous, Scott, because I always want to give it a go, but I can't check it out of the box. <laughs> well, have you have you tied it in so that they try and make a wee three a mini 3D um, model of you or Kevin or something? I don't know what you've, you've tied them in. It's it's pretty cool though, because apparently you link it up to your PC and then you'll put in the details in the PC and you just let it go and it will start creating whatever you want it to create. Like you could create a model building. So right. say you were going to do a res- renovation out the back garden as you like to do, as we know, um, <laughs> then, then what you can actually do is create the house and then the layout of the back garden. You can actually see it visually rather than just in the screen. You know, it's, it's simple stuff like that. I mean, but yeah, back, sorry, back to the news, but what, the reason for me telling you that is there's a live webinar 
uh, tomorrow, which is Thursday the 30th of November. It's 7pm UK. Okay. Um, where is that? It's, uh, it's called Is 3D Printing Finally Becoming Ma- the Manufacturing Tool It Was Hyped Up To Be? Okay. So the whole purpose of this is a guy called Greg Mark, who is a 3D printing entrepreneur and a founder of a, of a business that, that deals with that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. What he's looking at is having a conversation, and it's literally going to be a conversation looking beyond the actual prototype and the functionality, but actually exploring what you could use it for in a manufacturing environment. Mm-hmm. And this is an American guy, and it's for the American market. I'm going to plug in and listen in because I'm interested. So it's 2 p.m. Eastern time US, which is 7 p.m. tomorrow night. You can, if you go on to the, the M, so it's a website called technologyreview.com. You'll be able to access the webinar there and sign up for it. If you can't find it, pop me or Scott an email to info at bonfirerecruitment.com um, and we'll pop you an email in the next, you know, as soon as we get it, we'll ping it across to you because that sounds interesting and I think it will tie in with a good hot topic for next week, Scott. I think it certainly does. Now, are you sure you didn't get th- buy two for printers and get one free, Terry? Is that not your angle there, no? Unfortunately not. I was tempted, but no, two printers only. I'll be getting delivered tomorrow. Good man. No, well done. Good. Yeah. So moving on to Hot Topic. And this one is a hot topic. It's interesting. Just just before the hot topic, Terry, I don't know. Did you get um did you see coming through the um, the shortlist for the Manufacturing Management mm. uh, Manufacturing Champions Awards this year? There's some some interesting companies in there, but I thought it's it's, it's something that when you see companies like you know Farm Salmon and Trout Limited and Coca-Cola. And what else we got here? Weetabix Food Company, you know, all in the same, you know, award ceremony um, or shortlist of the award ceremony. Then, you know, it's looking like a a, a serious, um, a serious competition. But- so what you're trying to say, Scott, is I should um, keep the bow tie for this event <laughs> and uh, the spade and just prepare for this event. <laughs> I think I think that would certainly do everyone a lot of a lot of favors. Um, I think I'll just mess it. I'll, 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 so, well, what was he going to say? Um, who who's your? So we'll we'll pick one pick each because last time I picked two correct ones. Um, I'm having a look at the list now. Who you know? What's your top pick? Well, for I guess it's more to do with the topics, isn't it? So, I mean, whether you want to do the who the best manufacturing leader is, or are you thinking we should maybe take a vote, or who you think you're um, the unsung? I'm, I'm more included if you look at the bottom of it, the unsung hero. What we got here: John Dawson, a production planning manager from uh, Fogarty Phil Products Limited. Get- so what made you pick Jim Dawson, Scott? I'm interested. He was top of the list there, but the, no, the one, <laughs> the one I thought was the unsung hero is a chap called um, Michael Hooper, who is a continuous improvement facilitator at Entech International. Now, to be fair, Entech, yeah, it was between him and Martin McGrother, who's a slab yard team member of British Steel. But Michael's job within continuous anyone that's um, within manufacturing knows that when you've got a continuous improvement and facilitation type role it can be quite challenging I get depending on what departments of course you're working across so so he and the very fact he's on this list I'm sure has been doing some good work so that's my that's my vote Um, who who you think who's your there's one and one name only who's that the young chap who keeps coming up every time he loves an award Cody Gledhill for Coca-Cola, the young apprentice in his third year. I'm going to go for him again. He's, uh, I think he won the last one probably, didn't he? He's been in the last two shortlists. He's obviously done something well. So, <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm going to back, I'm going to back the young gun. 
Well, let, let's see how that pans out. I think that's due to, I think that's in the next week or so we'll know. So um, when's it? Um, I, I will double check the day, but it hasn't okay. happened yet. So let's uh, let's see how it pans out and we'll keep you posted. And so so, whoever, so uh, if I win chocolate digestive to me, if you win. It's a, 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 a 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> so you can make as much chocolate digestive as you want I love, I love your thinking <laughs> fantastic <laughs> right okay Scott cautious of time so let's move on to the the hot topic so as we said it's females in manufacturing I know you've done a done a bit of research into this Scott so um, I'll let you crack on yeah, well, it was it was something that came across. I mean, you you and I deal with this on a daily basis, and uh, you know, there's 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 you know there's there's plenty of viewpoints in this. Um, but one of the, I, I was speaking to uh, uh, uh well, to be honest, what what prompted me in this was actually there's a company called Mansfield Pollard, and there was an article I was reading about them reaching their their equality milestone. Where actually, um, the, the key directors in their business, um, all three of them are now female. And so, which apart, you know, which caught my eye, and I was thinking, well, actually, that's pretty. Yeah, it's not common, I guess, for the, the the percentage of the board to actually be, you know, all female. And and then it got me thinking, actually, what's the norm, actually? And and then also the recruitment challenges that we've seen over the years about um, perception, about capability. And then actually, if we think about the pool of talent that we have, depending on the role, of course, you know, the, the volume of, of, of good um, females that are actually coming through the ranks. So I just thought it was... Um, yeah. a, a, an interesting starting point because there's so many other ideas that that, that, that spin off from it. Well, um, I think I think I think you know this could this could be a you know we, we could speak about hours about this. I think it's just a matter of keeping it really sharp and close. You know, it's, it's, it's to the point as possible. And I think the two biggest things that I see is the question around the percentage of women within manufacturing as a whole and who are in management or board level positions. Right. And then the second one being obviously the pay gap issue. Uh huh. And I think. You know, I can only take from my personal experience. So, you know, I, and I, but also looking at the statistics that, that are visible online, you know, through a lot of the bigger companies within like the FTSE 100 and stuff like that, you can see the percentage of people. So I think that would be a, a, a really good focus point for us to kind of hit home, but actually put a spin on our insight into that because obviously we are, you know, on the front line with regards to recruitment and I've got a really good insight into, into, um, well, you know the processes that happen, and and, and especially with the the pay gap issue and stuff. Like that, you know, been dealing dealing with it for, you know, you know, we've been working in recruitment for six years, and Scott, you've been working at ten, so I'm sure we can give a really good insight rather than just the same old stories that you uh, and, and and articles that you read online. Yeah, well, one of the things that, that caught my eye this week, actually, again, when I was looking at the U- the news, was the the European um, Commission as well. You know, that, that actually we're all trying to. Um, hit this or their actual in, in their own commission and um, it's trying to hit a target of at least 40% um, of women in management I mean that's their target um, that, that they're all working right. to so it's 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 been you know that there's it's 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 there and actually you know 40% versus you know where, where's a closer to 50 mark I'm thinking but, but that stems on you know when we recruit for, for any given role it's thinking actually about 
what what is the right experience skill set you know right person for the job we don't correct you know it's correct why, why should it matter <laughs> Do you know that way? I correct 100% Scott and I think but I think the bigger picture right obviously there's a lot of statistics that get thrown around okay mm-hmm. but the bigger picture is how many men is there in manufacturing compared to women and if you if you look at the statistics from last year there's 80 that manufacturing is made up of 85% men and 15% women you know, so, so 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 you've got that. That is a topic in its own. Where actually, how do you encourage more females into manufacturing? And I know there's a lot of stuff going on because, as I've said in the past, there's stuff that I'm involved in with schools and encouraging uh, young people to think about manufacturing and see that as a great career because manufacturing is doing well at the minute. It's thriving. It's exciting. It's a rewarding career that should attract its fair share of of people. Regardless of gender, gender doesn't matter. But actually, I think the the focus should really be uh, should be encouraging more more females into manufacturing to get a fairer split. But this is uh, you've you've hit the nail on the head, Terry. In that you know, there's not enough um, females in actual already in manufacturing before we get to the leadership piece. Yeah. Um, and and we've got a question that the angles behind that. So in terms of if you think of you know from the educational piece, whether the the, the schools that you're talking of are working with, and you know the further education, whether it's colleges or universities, are doing their bit and actually encouraging you know highlighting manufacturing um, as a talent, and then actually allowing them to have the, the setting them up the tools you know to actually get in and, and do a good yep. job in there and yeah. you know I know that yeah, others have been scared away yeah but you know they end up you know becoming a lawyer out with manufacturing or, or doing other things that yep. maybe within industries that are more um, flexible maybe to, 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 to obviously to what's going on uh, uh, yeah yeah exactly and I think you know with, with the focus of these reports that I've seen online about 33% of the board being female, I think that's the wrong sort of attitude, actually a percentage of the board, because, you know, I think it should be actually encouraging more females into manufacturing as a whole, and that, you know, and, and you know, and then at the end of the day, you know, there's no point we talk about percentages, when actually we should be looking at getting more people into manufacturing overall, that's my thought. The facts that are probably drawn to this to this point that the reason that we're talking about the you know the percentages of females at board level and in senior management is is based on the fact that that that, that females the percentages were, were were horrendous. Do you know they were absolutely it was just not fair that um, it was a male it is and still is a male dominated environment. Yeah. So I guess it's it's moving. We, we now work. Um, and we all live, you know, with an all-encompassing world that's, you know, that's diverse. And I think sometimes that the, as a, as a lady was speaking to earlier, highlighted, you know, the power of diversity, you know, is actually um, where it, where, you know, can make such a, a massive difference within manufacturing. And I'm sure other industries as well, where actually you embrace the, 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 the capability of, of what someone can bring to the table. And whether it's maybe slightly different, you know, if, if someone's got maybe a family or, or there's, there's actually commitments out with, you know, that they can't necessarily do what's always been done, you know, that actually that, that can happen. It, I think it, there's. I think it's. I think it's to do with um, about you know because Scott, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it myself, you know, you know, I, I've kind of always been brought up, you know, with a successful mum who's done very, very well and has worked her way from the bottom up to being the HR director for a global company, yeah. and I've seen that progression. So I've always been inspired and influenced with that, and I've never thought about gender at all. And I think. From my perspective, the, all the companies I've ever worked with, there's never been 
any gender bias. There's never been that. I've never faced that. However, it is out there, and there's no question about that. And I think it's with the sort of older school yeah. companies who, you know, it's the way it's been done, and it's hard to kind of accept maybe a female on our board. Yeah. And I think that's the big challenge. So when we're talking about the percentage of females on board, I think it goes down to the actual companies. I mean, you've got the likes of what – your FTSE 100s, obviously, they're going to, you know, they're obviously embracing it. As, you know, it's a matter of Viaggio's got 36% of the board female. Blackso's got 33% of the board being female. Um, so there's a big drive there. However, the bigger picture is, actually, at the total FTSE 100, out of the 100 companies, the average percentage of females on board is 17%. But that's the total FTSE 100. That's not, you know, there's 29 manufacturing companies in there. You know, so I think, I think, I think the key thing is, is the not just looking at a FTSE 100 or whatever and the bigger businesses, actually the wider manufacturing. If we get more people involved in manufacturing, regardless of gender, then it will naturally balance it. You know, at the end of the day, people who are who are career-driven, successful and, and doing a, an excellent job will be naturally promoted yeah. through it's, it's right. um, Exactly. It's, it's about the capability. And uh, just here, Terry, you, you might have your, your figures you've got there. Just to, I, I've double-checked here. I, I've got the 2017 figures here, and I believe Diageo is actually now at 44% um, of female okay. board I And was it GSK there at 41% oh, okay. of female directors? So they, I'm guessing maybe if you've got 2016 figures there, then, you know, there you go. There, there's yeah. there's, and, there's and, progress. And can, I just, can, can I just go into a wee bit more detail here, Scott? Do you know yeah. most of you know, end of day, right? We're talking about board and whatever else, but actually, the, the vast majority of these people who are female within these boards are non execs, so independent non exec directors. You know, that's the sort of insight that I can see. But that, then that's a report back from 2013. So, yeah, it's right, slightly, okay. you know, it's sort of a date, but you've got yeah, the other you know, there's progress. I guess, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's actually good reading. Tying in with just you. Touching on, you know, the, the the clients you've worked with over the course, and you've not really come across. Uh, I've not seen it from a. I've actually seen it in a the, the reverse of a. You know, I've, I've had a client saying to me, "If you've got a female, brilliant, because you know it will actually help the morale on the team and all that, that that side of it." But I've I've seen it also where you know there was an example where um, a lady was considering a role. Well, what was it? Was, was considering a role in a unionised environment, and actually the person that was um, representing her said, "Do you know what? It's it's probably not the right one for you." <laughs> Do you know that way? That opens up a whole other can of worms, Terry. I mean, what's your thoughts on that in terms of, do you not, do you not think that, you know, companies are potentially missing out on, you know, I'm missing an opportunity that they're actually, and it, you know, hundred percent. I, I think, I think, you know, I think, Scott, before this podcast, I knew this was going to be a hot topic and, 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 and what I've made sure I've not done is done too much reading online because that can sway. And as I say to you, I'm just, there's some stats here and whatever else, but actually this is really, from my perspective, or actually, I don't really see that. But you know, when I'm looking at our placements, so Bonfire as a business, out of all our placements over the last two years, forty percent of placements have been female. Okay. Um, and sixty percent have been male. There you go. Um, within within companies, and that's been every single placement we've made. Yeah. In our, in our last in our market areas, senior management within manufacturing. Um so, Correct. so, so there we go. And Correct. that's not those figures are not too dissimilar, are they? From what, what we're in there from no. that report. No, so, so I I I don't I don't think that you know when we're when we're getting back to percentage of people, you know, within manufacturing and management, there's clearly 
you know, the gap in that is clearly came right in. And the pay gap issue, I've, you know, Scott, I've not seen... So I've never had any placements in the last two years where it's down to gender. Whatever the budget's been for that role, regardless of who it is, that's what the budget is. Actually, to be fair, sometimes it's actually been, you know, it's actually been that wee bit more because, the you know, as you said, you know, for, for, for that particular candidate, if they're a really good candidate... Regardless yeah. of gender, then they can be in demand for a number of roles. So yeah. actually, you could be at a point where you're pushing a wee bit more with salary to get them on board within your company. That doesn't matter regards to gender. So my two pence worth is on the basis that I don't see it personally. I know it, I know it does exist. I think it's a historic issue. But actually, once you break down the boundaries with certain businesses and they start accepting more females into the business as a whole, then it, you know that number's only going to come up to more even. But sitting at forty sixty at the minute, there's no question about it. And the pay gap side of things, I think you know there should be transparency there on that. And I think I think there is something getting done with transparency on it. And then you know at the end of the day, it's um, there's no issue. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, you know. I think I think the the pay gap scenario, as you know, I mean my my always my process is, is is around making sure it's the right person with the right experience suitable for the, the you know the, the company and um, that's trying to attract the best talent do you know that way and I think it, it's almost a, it's not it, it's, it's so irrelevant actually that that the, the, the nature of you know if the person can do the job well has experience to do it you know and then there's you know companies that are maybe not open to to, to actually promoting you know females within their, their business um, or maybe not um you know, willing to accept someone from out with, you know, coming, you know, coming in to, to their organisation is definitely missing out on an opportunity. And if you if you look, you know, if you look across the world, you know, th- th- this world of inclusivity, you know, I think um, th- there's some serious examples that, that are relevant. The, the other thing I do think is important, Terry, because as you know yourself, I mean, if you, if you take recruitment, for example, someone coming into this industry, if they have a bad experience, do you know that way? Will, will last two minutes. Do you know that way? And I think um, making sure that, that that females are equipped and supported to have the right tools. Do you know that way? Um, and have the, the, the you know have the right. Uh, I don't know, you know, the, the right mentoring. And I know that sounds, I'm not trying to be patronised, but actually, you know, my, stepping into a manufacturing role and making sure that they've got the, 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 the true support that's relevant as well. Do you know that way? Because I think if you step into an organisation and are thrown in the deep end and are not set up with the correct tools, and this comes back to schools and the college piece and actually having the, the capability of an individual, because that's that's where, um, you know, the, the inroads will come in and, and it's the grassroots level that probably Probably needs to be looked at, and again, that ties in with the, the STEM skills that we've, we've touched on in previous months as well. About what are we doing then further down the chain? Yeah, and hundred percent. And we were talking about uh, skill shortages as well. Yeah. You know, and and at the end of the day, the UK has got a, a healthy population. What we need to do is make sure that we're flying the flag for manufacturing and encouraging as many people into manufacturing as possible. Which means that actually we shouldn't have skill shortages. We should be in a comfortable position where we've got we've got um, the best caliber of people and in, in our jobs that are actually growing manufacturing across the UK as a whole and working in, in tandem. Where actually what we become is a world leader once again, rather than China, you know, doing all these amazing stuff and whatever. And then you've got Germany and all your you know the usual suspects and you know everybody's getting involved. 
actually let's let's think about for the core up and let's get you know let's fly the flag for manufacturing yeah. in the UK. And if you look at any team environment, you know the sum of all parts tends to be bigger. Do you know that one that way than any other um, individual within it? And uh, you know the Chinese example is a great example whereby I guess they're mandated to do whatever it is that they're, they're encouraged to do, but they actually part of that is actually supporting each other. <laughs> so that way, and actually working as a as a team to tell their objectives. And you know, I, you know, there's organisations you, you touched on Diageo earlier, GSK actually as well. You know, they these. Guys absolutely um, have their global framework that allows uh, you know th- them to tap into the the expertise that they've got in their organisation globally and, and and do some good stuff. Yeah, and I think you know Diageo is doing some good stuff. I know they've released a pay agenda pay gap report two weeks ago, fourteenth of November. So that's visible online. Everybody can clearly see that, and and, and they're clearly they're clearly the front face. You know, they're looking to show that they're the best employer for gender throughout the world, you know, which is great. But we need some, we need more SMEs, medium sized manufacturing companies, you know, doing the same, which there certainly are. But I think we need a wee bit more and we just need to encourage uh, more people overall into manufacturing. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. And I think maybe maybe for 2018, Terry, we revisit this and I think um, maybe look at the bigger challenge and how to encourage, you know, female leaders and technical experts into manufacturing and whether, you know, and, 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 and potentially take that one stage further, uh, looking, attracting, you know, individuals from further afield overseas, I guess, um, and, you know, highlighting, I guess, the challenges of of individuals maybe with disabilities and so on that, that actually can still do a good job and probably a better job in some cases um, within a role within manufacturing. So, yeah, yeah. plenty to... Good. to consider so Good. any any exactly. feedback and, and thoughts on that would, would be appreciated from from our listeners and we'll, we'll certainly revisit that in the new year at some point as well yeah well i'm sure we were in discussion scott um with a few a few of the of the of people that, that we know well who uh, embrace women in manufacturing and and really we were looking to get an insight so we'll hope to have someone on the show soon uh, to, to kind of to, give us a wee bit of an insight from their perspective be, as well. To be fair, I mean, we've spoken to, I mean, I've certainly spoken to a few this week and I think because of the, the good ones are busy, <laughs> you know, that way, Terry. So I think giving them yeah. more than a few days notice is, is probably only fair. And um, yeah, no, that, let, let's get that penciled in for, for the new year. Exactly. And uh, exactly. we'll do that as well. All right. Good. So moving on to this week's recruitment discussion. And as I said, obviously this discussion is going to be around once you've... So following on from last week's podcast where we went through how to map out your market, if you are a business owner, a business leader, a hiring manager, you could be any management position within a site or whoever. Whoever recruits for a team within manufacturing, it could be HR, internal recruitment, it could be anyone, a production manager, it doesn't matter. If you recruit a role for a manufacturing company and you're the hiring manager, you should know how many people are in your area who could be potentially do that job. Whether it be 50 people, 5,000 people, you should know that number naturally because that allows you to actually make sure that you've got full visibility of the market and the potential people who could work for you within your team. So we went through that last week in about how to map out the market. So this week, I thought it's important, Scott, that actually once you've mapped out that market, it's all very good that you've, you've scoped out everybody in that market, but how do you identify the top 15% to make sure that you get the best people for your business? Absolutely. And and to kind of put it into perspective, so say you're a, let's, let's stick on the whiskey 
we were talking about whiskey at the start. So say you're a whiskey company in the Scottish Highlands and you're the HR manager and you've you know there's say five thousand people with five thousand people who work within the whiskey industry within manufacturing within thirty miles of your company and your site. Okay. Mm-hmm. So out of that five thousand people, how do you identify the top fifteen percent that could potentially be attracted to your business? So that's 750 people, and that's the 750 people you concentrate on. So that's what I kind of wanted to go through this week and give you a, wee, a, a, a little bit of an insight. We don't give away too many secrets here, but give you a wee bit of an insight into how to do that. And this is more medium-long-term strategy that we implement. Yeah. And Scott, you're well aware of what, 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 you know, how we track movements you know, and the type of stuff that you look from potential people. So if you see the, a profile online or whatever, you know, you, naturally you'll tend to look at the time they've been with a com- company as well as their progression within that company. And naturally, yeah. if somebody's been within a business for, say, five years and what they've worked their way up is from a, an operator to an ops manager, you know, in that five years, they've got to be doing something right, you know, and it's within a competitor of yours. Not only would it benefit you if you're recruiting an ops manager tempting that individual into your business because it could it could damage your 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 competitor, but also what you're gaining is a real talent there because obviously that company's embraced that. Um, and then, do you know typically Terry? See that type of t- that type of typical talent stroke candidate you're talking of their employee to the business is typically the candidate may well not have been rewarded financially as well as if someone had actually left the business and gone to another company. Um, because it, yeah. you know that way, which is um, yeah, it's one of those things, I guess. Whereby if you, you stay with a company, um, the company believes they're doing the right thing, but actually, you know, the the, the competition um, is is always looking for good talent. Correct, and then, and and that will be a, a future recruitment minute where we'll talk about retaining. Once we've got the good people in, how do we retain them? And 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 as a second area that me that myself and Scott track is all your awards, your you know recognition, press releases. Anything at all with names, and, and you know, we gather that information over a period of time, and that's what people should be doing. Hence, why we have and we mention about awards nearly every week in the latest news because we, we're visibly watching them, looking for people, and marking it in a notebook. It's not literally a notebook, but on a database, we're actually going, we know who is, who is doing well over a period of time. We bit of a side side curve, which might, you know, and this isn't, a, this isn't a, um, you know, the be all and end all. This is just a wee bit of advice you know it's not one one size fits all with regards to shoot certainly not that but it's pretty accurate no there's a consistent trend What's that? but if you're looking at link, linkedin activity um uh-huh. people who are who people who are less active tend to be more busy on their roles more happy in their jobs they're not really interested in linkedin they're doing well they're getting recognized within their com- company it tends to be when someone has a much higher activity their platform it tends to be that they're maybe updating their profile okay if somebody updates their profile then a lot of the time that means that maybe they're going to be starting to look for a job or they want a profile up to date for some reason okay yeah. and it might be genuine reasons they just want to update it but let's be honest you know at the end of the day if i was updating my profile there's a reason behind it and, and you know and that might be a number of different things you're actively more posting more so myself and scott would keep an eye on that sort of stuff that doesn't mean that that person is not in the top 15% because you should know that from before and actually the historic movements and then actually looking at 
you know, have you had any engagement with this person before? Is this someone you see time and time again actively applying for roles every single couple of months, every single month for every couple of months? Yeah. All of this tracking movements actually, you know, you're looking for trends where it kind of identifies as a, you know, how's this person, how, how is this person uh, within their working life? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does, Terry. And I, I thought you, I, I, I don't think this is a, a super secret, but one of the things about the candidate that's maybe too busy and um, that, that's keeping a low profile sometimes doesn't get the chance to, to exactly to say what you do, what you're saying there, such as um, update the LinkedIn profile. And the person that's doing all the updating and similar, um, actually the, the best piece of talent that, that I give another employer might be looking for is the person sitting next to them half the time. Um, and it's actually, you know, re- re- good recruiters will 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 have, you know, have an understanding and have mapped out, you know, who who's who's where doing what, I guess. Um, and and that's the talent that companies, you know, because they're doing all the all the graft in the background that that um, will, will, will hit their will hit hit them if they're not getting looked after. So um, yeah, there's there's you're you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head, Terry. Okay, good, good. So. And, you know, and, and as I say to you, we're not going to give you too much secrets. You know, that's a kind of tip of the iceberg again. You know, but literally, you know, if you picture the last two podcasts, we went we went through. You should have mapped out your market. You should know how many people are in engineering, how many people are in production, operations, supply chain, finance, HR, whatever the department might be. You should have um, now an understanding over a over a medium long period, actually tracking movements of who's potentially the top caliber and who's that top 15% of people. Now, what we work on, you know, we work in senior management within manufacturing and imagine we've been developing this the last couple of years. So imagine you had a system that identifies the highest chance of that person being active and likely to look. So, you know, those people who are inactive in LinkedIn, who are happy in their role, who have quickly progressed their career through a certain business, if you had a system who can identify the the highest chance and the highest point, whether you know any period of time, well, that person would be more receptive to receiving a message from you and having a and a discussion to then encourage that person into your business. Would that no be the strongest recruitment tool that you you could ever have, rather than just posting an advert on your typical job board, job boards? Definitely. I mean, and Scott, yeah. if that system can then generate a shortlist of potential people for you for any live roles who have fallen into that category from the top 15%, you can then engage the right people at the right time and get them involved in your recruitment process. And it's people who would you would never have seen before who are doing very well in their jobs. However, if the better opportunity comes up and a better opportunity to progress their careers or whatever the, whatever the motivation might be, then, then you can have that discussion. But let's be clear. Let, let, let's, let's be clear, Scott. Mm-hmm. Getting to that point is only the first hurdle. Right. You identify those people, you know know that at this point they're more receptive to having a message from you and having a conversation. You might have that conversation, but at the end of the day, you still need to get that person interested in the opportunity you've got and your company, which I think next week, what we'll go through is how do you then attract the top people to interview yeah. with your business? Yeah. 
Any input on that, Scott? How, what, what do you think? I, I think you, you, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. You're, you're almost giving away some of our secrets there, Terry. But um, the, I, I think the idea that um, people, you know, top talent is is typically passionate and interested in doing an, an amazing job at whatever their specialism and, and what they're doing. And, and, and that type of talent, um, when presented with a better opportunity or a better company and a better opportunity. These are the things that, that tempt people away. And I guess it's, you know, at the end of the day, all, all we do is, is present the opportunities. And I guess at the end of the day, people are quite, you know, receptive to bettering their career, which is which is what, what it's all about, I guess. The, the challenge sometimes, and, and one of the frustrations that, that we both have, I guess, is when, you know, uh, the, the, the organisation it says that they've got their own internal recruiter that has access to the same network and, and similar because they're connected to Joe Blogs and so on. You know, that end, it ends up, you know, that, that, that there's there's maybe a can of worms in there that actually is not true and that we, we actually can, you know, it's it's not just about the name. It's actually about the relationship with that name and, and obviously introducing into the process and, and getting through the, you know, for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. And that's a different topic again, Scott. Uh, Scott uh, you know, end of day, it's all good being connected on LinkedIn and being a yeah. second degree connection. You need to have authority in the marketplace to be able to even have the conversations. You know, these guys are getting approached day in, day out by everybody in the market. How do you stand out? But that's another topic <laughs> that's future down the line. Okay. It's, uh, but it's, guys, when, when you listen to this, this is really good information we're giving you. This is really good food for thought. We work alongside a lot of uh, internal recruiters and HR. And, 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 and the reason being is because we understand the challenge that the guys are going through. We do recruitment as well. We've been in that position where actually we've been limited on the tools and the systems we've been given yeah. and we're expected to deliver miracles. Yeah. And, and we understand 100% of the fr- frustration. So what we actually did two and a half years ago was reverse all those frustrations and actually start to build our system so that actually we can be far more proactive rather than reactive. And that's probably the engineering background in me where actually I was thinking, how can we do this much better than everybody else and, and, and really have a benefit to the wider market? So so with that, you know, as a, if, if, guys, if you, if you work in HR or internal recruitment, we feel your frustration there. We're more than happy to have a, a further you know, a chat on this just to give you a bit of an insight into what we do to help yeah. you as a business. It's complement. I think that that's the point, isn't it? It's um, it's it's complementing a given process or a given. And we touched on this in a previous podcast. And I'm not going to stand my high horse again, but I certainly think that that working alongside or being part of a given business, you know, for the right reasons, um, you know, that that goes. It's exactly what we're saying there about um, inclusivity, isn't it? Um, what you know, the sum of all parts actually allows a better result. And you know, I certainly see, we've seen the results of that. And um, yeah, happy to talk with anyone around those those topics yeah good well Scott thank you very much that was uh, that was an interesting podcast it went a bit deep at times but uh, uh, I think it, um, it got us thinking it definitely it I must apologise if I've been speaking through my nose I've, I've got man flu Terry I've, I've been sniffling all week so um, I man flu <laughs> man who, I mean who, who, you know end of the day you've got a wee cold <laughs> behave yourself Go and get some beachums after you at GSK. <laughs> <laughs> I'm investing in shares. I don't even know if G- beachums does. I don't even know if G- GSK, do they like Exactly, separate company. Um, okay, I don't know. Um, no, Kleenex will be doing well this month, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Right, so I think uh, we'll wrap it up there. So next week, we'll go through the latest news as always. 
the hot topic that we're going to do is how can you embrace 3D printing within manufacturing? Interesting. So, Scott, if you get signed up for that webinar tomorrow night as well, me and you will go on that at seven, and those that can't make it will feed back some insight yeah. and, and then our own spin on it as well. Cool. And the recruitment minute, as I said, what we'll do is, once you've got over the first hurdle of, of engaging with the top 15%, but how do you get that 15% to then come and meet you for an interview to discuss your company? We'll go through that next week. So I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. It's much appreciated. Uh, Scott mentioned any questions, any feedback, any 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 at all. Drop us a line uh, at scott at bonfirerecruitment.com or terry at bonfirerecruitment.com. Thank you very much. Have a good night and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturing Ignition podcast. If you've made it this far, we take it that you enjoyed the show. In return, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Subscribe while you're there and we'll catch you for the next episode.